Welcome, everybody, to our weekly Torah podcast dedicated in the memory of Mr. and Mrs. Harold and Shirley Pasternak, Herschel Ben David, and Sima Devorah Basichesko. This week's Torah portion, Parshas Mishpatim, covers a lot of the areas of interpersonal law, laws such as theft, laws such as injury, laws of stealing, or different types of, of different types of, of interaction between people and the halakhas, the prohibitions with it. It seems kind of interesting why it is that right after the Ten Commandments of last week's Parsha, Torah goes into all the negative things. You know, if a person steals and the punishments that happen, and if he slaughters the animal that he steals, or if he attacks somebody and he kills somebody, or he hurts somebody, or if he's given an object to watch and he's, he's negligent with it, why does Torah delve into these halakhas immediately after the Ten Commandments? It's a beautiful interpretation. And teaching us teaching us a very important principle regarding the whole concept, the whole penal system in, in the Torah, the punishments that are given to people for sin. Human nature is that when a person is a victim, a person, somebody hurts another person, we tend to look at the person, at the perpetrator, as, as a wicked person. And sometimes, like, the whole idea of, of law sometimes just goes out the window when a person's a victim. Do you know what you did to me? And almost everything becomes like permissible. Because you did this to me, therefore you deserve this and this, I'm going to punish you back with this and whatever it might be. The Torah is so precise when it comes to punishment for some for people's wrongdoings. Certainly a person that does something wrong is deserving of punishment. And nobody can ever escape punishment. Even if punishment is not coming in this world, there's certainly punishment coming from heaven in both in this world and in afterlife. But nevertheless, regarding when the person is punished in this world, the Torah is extremely precise in exactly how much punishment the person is supposed to get, and he has to get not a, not, a, not a bit more. And not only that, but it's also important when a person does is given the punishment to remember they're still a human being. A person that's done something wrong is still a human being. As a matter of fact, most times when people do something wrong, it's actually, it's even a sin of passion, whatever it might be, it's a sin because the Yitzhak grabbed hold of them. The evil inclination. Many people fall victim to the evil inclination. It's difficult to sometimes extricate ourselves to pull ourselves out from the control of the Yitzhak. It pushes us every which way. And it's important to remember that behind the sin, behind the Yitzhak, they're still usually a good person. And we have to remember that. We find many examples where Torah, therefore, goes a little bit easy on the criminal. And the purpose of that is in order to be able to encourage him to realize that he's a good person, therefore to do tshuva, to want to repent and come back to be able to fix up his ways. We find, for example, there are different, certain types of actions that, that bring a, a knas, a fine. The story gives a person a fine. For example, if a person steals an object, the luck is he has to pay kefal. If he has to pay double. If he stole somebody's piece of a watch, for example, it's worth $100, he has to pay the watch an additional $100 back to the person. That's, that's a luck called kefal. Now, kefal is a fine. And the Gemara tells us at length that a fine can only be levied by the court. No, it's not the act of stealing that automatically obligates the person to pay a fine. Rather, when they deter- the court finds the person guilty, the, for, the, the court will levy the fine against the, 
against the perpetrator, against the, the thief. Nevertheless, there's an interesting halacha that mode b'knas potter, if the thief or the perpetrator comes on his own before the court and admits to the sin, talking about obviously before witnesses come, he admits to the sin, halacha is, he does not have to pay kefal. Obviously, the principal, of course, he has to pay back. But the additional part, the fine, he does not have to pay back. The Torah goes easy on the person to encourage him to come and admit. It's sort of like a father, for example, that uh, if the child, when he, when, he, when he accused the child doing something wrong, if the child will admit to it and apologize, the father will go easier on the punishment than if the child denies it. I didn't do it. The father will be much tougher on the child when, he, when the child denies it when he admits it. And therefore, the Torah says, too, when a person admits to doing the crime, he's off the hook as far as, as far as the punishment is concerned, as far as the having to pay the additional fine. And that encourages the person to realize, you know, I understand that it was wrong on your part and you did it, but I also understand that it's something that if you admit to it, you, you encourage, encourage you to do tshuva. It encourages the person to not want to, not to, to stay in that, in that status as a, as, a, as a criminal, as a person that's committed something wrong, wrongdoing. On the same lines, you find the Torah talks about if a person steals a sheep or a cow, and then afterwards he either sells or, or slaughters the sheep or the cow. So the Torah tells us, not only does he pay the double, but by the cow he pays five times the value, and if he steals the sheep and slaughters it, he pays four times the value, called dalav hay, four or five times as much. Now this is halacha unique to a sheep and to a cow, some of the commentaries explain the idea because not only did he just steal something from the person, but he stole his source of livelihood. People use cows or sheep. Cows or sheep, they would use them either for, for work or for, to raise them for, for meat. That was their source of livelihood. And therefore, as such, when you go ahead and slaughter that or sell it, not only are you causing them a loss, you're causing them an additional loss because you're taking away their source of livelihood. And therefore, the Torah makes them pay much more. Why four for a sheep and five for a cow? The one says, really, he should pay five times as much for the value of each of them. It's just that when a person steals the sheep, sometimes he has to, the sheep may not, be, may not want to go. It's a little bit stubborn. So you may have to carry the sheep in the public to take it home. That's embarrassing. It's a little bit, a little bit, a little bit undignified to carry a sheep in the public domain. And because he suffered embarrassment already, therefore he pays less and the person that steals the cow. Fascinating. We're concerned over here about the indignity of a thief. Who told him to go steal in the first place? He didn't have to steal. He chose to steal. And yet the Torah shows that we're still concerned about this person's dignity. You pay, he has to pay a, a fine a little bit less than the person that steals the cow because, because he suffered the indignity of carrying the animal in the public domain. Think about that. When a person, when the, when the criminal realizes, when this person, the thief realizes, the Torah shows concern even about him, about his dignity. That certainly can be a, a, certainly can be a deterrent from behaving like that again. And it'll encourage the person again to do tshuva. Is that really the type of lifestyle that I want? It's amazing. The punishment that he gets is so precise that it takes the indignity that he suffers, the indignation that he suffers into consideration. And there's a major distinction, by the way. And Volber brings down 
from Mitchell Petterberger, one of his Phil Slanter students, that when a person transgresses a sin, but he sighs when he commits the sin, he realizes, oh, I shouldn't be doing this. I can't control myself, but I shouldn't be doing this. In heaven is transcribed, this person committed the sin, but he did it with a sigh. As opposed to when a person commits the sin and enjoys himself, doesn't sigh, doesn't regret it at all, in heaven, it's written down, this person transgressed the sin without a sigh. And Abitzel Pettenberger said, the distinction between a person, the punishment that's deserving of a person that, that commits a sin with a sigh while experiencing discomfort to the person that commits the sin well, when he does not experience any discomfort is, is, tremendously, is a tremendous difference. The difference between, right, between north and south. That's the distinction. But again, the Torah recognizes, takes this person's dignity into consideration, the honor into consideration. Along the same lines too, the Lacha talks about regarding the din of a, of a person that has stolen something. And Torah tells of he can be sold into slavery to pay back his debt, to pay back the debt which he's stolen. We're talking about somebody that steals and doesn't have money to pay back. So the Lacha is, he can be sold to slavery for six years and the debt will be paid back. Now, obviously, the person that steals and doesn't have money to pay back, he's sold to slavery, certainly it's, it's, a, it's a difficult punishment. Yet the Torah tells us that when you buy that slave, the Gemara says, When a person buys a slave, it's considered as if he bought a master for himself. What that means to say, the Gemara explains, is that you have to, he's a fellow Jew and you have to treat him as such. You're not allowed to force him to do all different types of menial jobs, things that are beneath his dignity. It doesn't make a difference that, he's a, that he stole from you. He's still a human being. And you still have to be able to show him proper dignity. For that matter, along the same lines also, the Gemara tells us that you can't treat him any differently than you treat yourself. If you only have, let's say, one feather bed and it's, it's a cold evening. You can't use it yourself because then you're not treating him like an equal. So to say, okay, then I just won't use it at all. I'll just put it away. The Gemara says you can't do that either. That's midas stone. And that's a sodomite type of a type of a, of a, of a meat of a character trait because these are people that even though they're not losing anything by helping somebody else, they still, they still refuse to do so. So the luck is you have to let the slave use the feather bed and you go without the feather bed. Amazing. You have one feather bed and you have to let the slave use it rather than use it yourself. Again, the reason being because he's a human being and don't forget that. The Torah tells us after six years he goes out free. God says wife and children go out free too. What do you mean wife and children? He never bought a wife and children. He bought this person for slavery to serve him. He didn't buy his wife and children. That's true, the Torah tells us. But he's a breadwinner for the family. Well, he's working for you. Who's going to take care of his family? Imagine in the American judicial system, somebody is somebody commits a crime, and therefore the judge determines, the judge sentences him to a certain amount of five years in prison. So let's say the wife were to come up and say, well, you can't do that. He's our breadwinner. Who's going to support me and my children? The judge will look at her and says, listen, that's not my problem. He should have thought about that before he committed the crime. Right now he committed the crime. He has to go to prison. Who's going to take care of you? You have to take care of yourself, I guess. I don't know what to tell you. Torah says, that doesn't make any sense at all. Certainly it's true the person committed a crime. 
but he has a family also. Therefore, he's deserving of being punished. He sold into slavery. But when you buy that slave, realize that you are also accepting upon yourself the obligation to support the wife and family of this slave as well. So when he goes out after, after six years, he goes out, his wife and children are going out free too for that matter because you've been supporting them by this, over the course of the past six years. Amazing, again, how the Torah takes such consideration of this person. Of this person, He stole, but we, know, we never let him forget he's a, he's a human being. And just because you're a slave, just because you're working for me, doesn't mean to say that I can take advantage of you. Certainly in the whole institution of slavery, we have to be very careful because power corrupts. And a person that's in a situation of power can easily be corrupted. But the Torah there puts all these little checks and balances into the system to make sure that doesn't happen. You have to treat them like an equal. All these different things are put into place. But remember, that person should realize that I didn't, that I, I, I made a mistake. I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't. I'll never do that again. I'll never steal again. That's the way to be able to encourage the person to do tshuva, to be able to bend, come back closer, to be able to become a better person. This reminiscent of a beautiful story, I saw about down of Gol Akarif, a story about the Bab of Rebbe. This is shortly after the war, after the Holocaust. The Bab of Rebbe himself was saved from the Holocaust with his son. The other family members perished in the Holocaust. The Rebbe moved to America with his son, and he opened up a small little shtibo, a small little shul. He had very few chassidim that had been that it, that it was that, it, that it were able to make it out and escape from the, from the inferno in Europe. And one time, he receives an invitation to receive a Sheva Brachas, to, excuse me, an invitation to attend a Sheva Brachas. And the, person, the Rebbe wondered, I don't know who the person is exactly. Why should I, why should I attend the Sheva Brachas? I'm so busy as it is. The person says, please, Rebbe, you come, and you'll exp- I'll explain to you why it's important that you come. So the Rebbe put his, everything else aside, Attended the Sheva Brachas. And listen, it says, uh, they went to the Sheva Brachas, and this elderly man spoke at the Sheva Brachas. And he says, Rebbe, maybe you don't recognize me. He says that after this, this is quite a few years after the war, but before the war, I had been a chazin, and you had heard about me at all. During the war, all the suffering, all the things that I had to go through, I lost my faith and I stopped being an observant Jew. And one time, you were coming, passing through the park with your son. And I was sitting on the bench, smoking on Shabbos. I no longer observed Shabbos at that point in time. And you told your son, oh, look, here's the chazin. Please, would you do us? I remember, I, I remember the davin that used to daven before the war. Would you please... Would you come to us and please and maybe honor us with, with the leading the services in our shul for Shabbos? So listen, me, I, 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 I can, I'm not going to go. I can't go. I don't do that anymore. He said, please, please, you were so good. I remember how wonderful they sounded. Please, can you do us, you give us the honors? So I went. I went to the shul that Shabbos. And after Shabbos, I went back again to the park and I continued smoking. And when the Rebbe passed by in the afternoon and again, he saw me, oh, yeah, that was such a beautiful davening. Please, we do us the honors again next week. And your son turned to you at that time, this person tells the Rebbe. And he asked, Father, how can we let him leave the services? He's a Mechal Shabbos, he desecrates the Shabbos. How can he leave the services in our shul? 
and you turned to the son and you told him, he says, no, my friend, no, my son. He does not desecrate the Shabbos. It's the Hitler in him that desecrated the Shabbos. Hitler, unfortunately, it did with all the thing, the damage that he did. All the, they probably wiped out his family. The experience that he went through, that's what's being Mechal Shabbos. It's not the person himself. And Rabbi, I came back to your shul that Shabbos and I led the services again. And I want you to know, at that moment, I decided to, be, to turn back to my observance. And I started observing Shabbos. And shortly after that, I got married and I had children. And thank God, I have grandchildren. This is the Shabbat Brachas, one of my young granddaughters. And I want you to have all of these children and grandchildren, they're all Torah-observant Jews, is to your credit. Because you recognize that it wasn't just me, it wasn't me that had desecrated the Shabbos. It was Hitler who had desecrated the Shabbos. It was the influence, that the like, suffering that he brought upon me. The ability of being able to see beyond the Yetzirah, the ability to be able to see, to see the goodness of a person, that's the Torah's teachings over here. Right after Ten Commandments, the recognition that certainly we may not always be up to par, but always recognize no matter how low a person falls, no matter what type of a sin that a person commits, it's important to recognize the neshama behind that. The person is still a human being. He's still deserving of dignity. We never can forget the person's dignity, no matter what a person may have committed, a sin the person might have committed. And when we remember that, then indeed a person might be inspired to return to be able to recognize, you know, that I'm above that, I'm beyond that. I shouldn't be doing that type of a baby or that type of a sin. That's what the Torah is teaching us over here. We have a great Shabbos, everybody, and Bezor Hashem will be together again next week. Ever think about starting your own podcast? The Maverick Podcasting Network makes creating and running your podcast easy and fun. Visit maverickpodcasting.com to get started today.